This show contains mature and sexual content matter, which may be inappropriate for some younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Get ready for Gaywire on CJSR, queer radio that recruits. Hey there, JD. Hi, Alexa. <laughs> we survived the election. Yeah. It's been... It's been two days. <laughs> it's been two days. <laughs> Under our new well, it's regime. Been, it's been weeks. Yeah. It's been weeks of fun time. Yeah. Uh, but you have yeah. some news you want to talk well, about I a, first. Uh, well, I have a, a bigger story. Yeah. People, people tuned in for. Yeah. Um, Dumbledore's sex life. <laughs> Okay, wait. So I've heard a bit about this. The people are ticked off. Is go go for it? Sure is. The situation. No, that's exactly. Well, I mean, uh, so for people who don't know who Dumbledore is, he's a fiction. Keep in mind, he's a fictional character mm-hmm. uh, from the Harry Potter book series, which became the movie series, and now young Dumbledore is in the new film series. Of which I missed the last film. I've seen them all except for the, the last one that came in out in November. But so, if you've read the books or seen the movies, you know in the Harry Potter world there is nobody who is explicitly LGBT. So after the movies and the books came out, J.K. Rowling, the author, said, "Hey, by the way, Dumbledore is gay," which uh, rocked the world <laughs> for some people. Yeah, I mean, happiness. From some people who felt, like, yeah, hey, we've been represented, but then also people pointed out, well, okay, he's not actually doesn't. It's not established that he does that he is gay. You're just saying something about a fictional character. So I mean, if what is it? If a, if a gay falls in a forest, does he make a set? What? It's, it's not real, right? It's not. It's not like somebody important came out. Um, but with this new film series, I think there was hope that, okay, fine, young Dumbledore is going to be in there, so we'll see some of his backstory. Maybe they will establish in the actual canon that he's gay. So the movie came out, last movie came out in November. What is it? Uh, Fantastic, uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald was the name of the movie. Came out in November. The director confirmed ahead of time with everybody that there would be no gay content. So people would be uh, safe to go see the movie. Right. Uh, but this has come up again because, yeah, I guess, in the featurette DVD, or in the DVD there's a featurette uh, where J.K. Rowling talks about Dumbledore and, again, um, talks about his sexuality, uh, which has not been established in the canon, in the movies or the books. And she said, and here's what her quote from the featurette, um, so their relationship was incredibly intense. I guess that is referring to Dumbledore and somebody else. And I don't want to spoiler for people <laughs> who he has not have a relationship with. But uh, their relationship was incredibly intense. It was passionate and it was a love relationship. But as happens in any relationship, gay or straight or whatever label you want to put on it, one never really knows really what the other person is feeling. You can't know. You can't believe you know. So I'm less interested in the sexual side Though I believe there is a sexual dimension to this relationship than I am in the sense of the emotions they felt for each other, which ultimately is the most fascinating thing about all human relationships. So people were upset about that. This, this came out, uh, this, this DVD came out in March, just March. So it was just a month ago. 
people um, pointing out, okay, so not only are you not establishing uh, Dumbledore's sexuality in a canon, but you're equating it with having to depict sexual intimacy. Mm. Okay. Like, I know that we talked on the show about how frustrating it is, like, for some movies, like, Call Me By My Call you, whatever. Call Me By Your Name. The, 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 yeah. the, that no. movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was, there, for a gay movie, there was no gay sex scene. Right. But these Harry Potter movies aren't gay movies, so I don't mm-hmm. think people are going to them expecting, like, oh, geez, I hope that mm-hmm. I get to see two guys get it on. Right. All Does anybody have, in, the, in the Harry Potter world, is there... No, there's no LGBT representation. No, but I mean, like, any sexual content? Well, there's no sexual content, but, right. peop- but opposite sex couples do kiss. Okay. And they, they do have uh, relationships mm-hmm. where it is implied or stated that they are dating or intimate or... Right, right. Yes. And it's, I mean, at the end of the last movie, you see in the future that Harry Potter, and they all have kids. Right. So I, they did at some <laughs> point have sex. Well, no, maybe not. Maybe they, yeah, all, right. they all had virgin births or adoptions. I don't yeah. know. But, yeah, it's implied. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so yeah, there's, there's people just uh, not happy that uh, she seems to think that in order to establish a Dumbledore as gay, you have to see him have sex. Uh, and at the same time, there's also people just frustrated that there's still no representation because it's, it's not happening in the oh, movies or the I books. See. Okay. It's not really yeah. canon, right? You, you yeah. can say like all the time, you just go around like saying like, oh sure, yeah, Dumbledore was gay and Harry Potter was gay mm-hmm. and like, everybody was gay. Yeah. But you go see these movies, you don't see any representation and it, it's frustrating because she's pro- uh, projecting this image of herself being an ally of the LGBT right. community. Okay. But at the end of the day, these movies are incredibly profitable and that's, they are profitable because they are cleaned up for mainstream audiences. Mm-hmm. That's what people are alleging, and I would say that's probably true. They don't want to put a gay Dumbledore in a movie because that will upset some people and they'll make less money. I see. So, I, yeah, the, thank you for that because I didn't understand. I mean, I just saw headlines and I was like, I don't understand the controversy. Um, but you're right. It's sort of to retroactively say, oh, that character is gay. And, I mean, it's not like... To actually do it justice and to write an, a, a good full character, you can't just retro, retroactively yeah. put that stamp on them, right? Yeah. Like that would need to be part of their story somehow, as you sure. said. Like you know, and you don't uh, have to. And you, yeah, and to establish that in the canon they are gay, you don't have to have steamy man-on-man Dumbledore and somebody else yeah. scene. We can just say, hey, like. Hey, babe. And they hold hands. <laughs> All right. Established. Yeah. As much affection as, as heterosexual people do in that movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As much as people can stomach. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, the movies, <sighs> yes, the movies are not sexually explicit. No, I mean, and they don't need to be. I just, I, I, I agree. I didn't understand what the controversy was. And now I do. It just seems ridiculous. To, to, so yeah, to sort of. So if you don't yeah. see the featurette, and if you haven't heard her say or whatever it was the tweet on Twitter, then Dumbledore's not gay. <laughs> there you go, because it's not mentioned in the books. Sure. Or, yes, okay. I, I can go to that movie. Say, you know what? Everybody in this movie's gay. Yeah, and it's it, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it would be overrepresentation. I would feel bad. Yeah, we'd be we'd be oversaturated. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah. the top story um, that I came up with. Thank you. Well, you explained it to me, and now I don't have to Google it or read anything for myself. So, 
Thank you. That was nine minutes about Dumbledore. <laughs> it was. I said I wouldn't disappoint. <laughs> Who cares about the election? Yeah. Moving on. Oh, my God. Dumbledore. Okay. So we should debrief a little bit. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, I and I feel exhausted to do so. Um, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of tension. Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily know what to do next, might be feeling a little bit disillusioned. What I will say is that um, I think there's a comfort in the fact that we have a huge, strong, long-standing history of um, a very uh, put-together queer and trans activism in the province, and uh, that we have been here before. Uh, we were here for 45 years and the decades and centuries before that, uh, in which we faced governments that not just wouldn't listen to the community, but were attacking our community. Um, and so... I think there's comfort in that and and sort of talking to different folks in the queer and trans community over the past couple weeks. Um, A lot of people are coming together and rallying and thinking about solutions and trying to figure out what we can do um, in, you know, the next, the coming days, weeks, and the next four years uh, before the next election, which again, seems like a long time, but, um, but I think this election showed that there's uh, there's strong opposition and that not everybody in Alberta um, feels like it's acceptable for the LGBT community or immigrant communities, refugee communities, people of color and indigenous people to be um, not just neglected by their government, but actually attacked, right? So um, if you're interested in sort of like getting in and doing something about it, um, Alberta students are already planning a walkout in protest of UCP policies on uh, GSAs. And as we said in uh, previous episodes, um, it's anticipated that the, the, the and Jason Kenney has said that um, they are going to change the rules of how GSAs function in the province. Uh, and one of the ways in which they're going to do that is to make it so that GSAs aren't um, sort of safe spaces and safeguarding for students. Um, that if uh, the, the teachers will have the power and administrators will have the power to tell pe- to tell parents if um, a child joins a GSA or a QSA, which is a gay straight alliance or a queer straight alliance, which as we've discussed in the past. Um, removes that safety and removes that um, anonymity of the GSA that is so important to protect children um, from being bullied at school, but also um, from being um, uh, perhaps feeling or or experiencing abuse or neglect or um, disowning by their family. Um, So if you're interested in uh, getting involved, uh, a group of Alberta students are standing up to the UCB government and are planning a province-wide school walkout. Um, one of the organizers uh, has said the reason that we're protesting is because of a policy that Jason Kenney's UCP has promised. The walkout is being or- organized to voice displeasure over possible changes to the Alberta law at protecting students in GSAs. The group um, has posted on Instagram encouraging students to walk out of school at 9.30 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. on May 3rd. Um, So again, I'll say that um, if you have students in schools in Alberta, um, you can let them know that uh, they can walk out at 9.30 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. on May 3rd. And we'll be talking about this again in the coming weeks. Um, And uh, I mean, we've seen in in Ontario, they did a huge, students did a huge walkout there over proposed cuts to um, public education and plans to um, uh, get rid of um, classroom size caps. Um, so, and it was it was quite a moving thing to see. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who um, protested at the legislature in Toronto. 
and uh, it was very moving. And I know that it can seem like do these things have a repercussion, but that visual of, of hundreds and hundreds of people in Ontario, students, children, parents, community members protesting um, the proposed education cuts there was quite moving. And again, we've also seen it's important to keep in mind that in Ontario, uh, Doug Ford, um, in his in the election, was promising to scrap their newly formed sex education uh, policies and uh, curriculum, and then realize that it's actually quite hard to do so. And maybe the sex education policy that was put through by the Liberals under Kathleen Wynne uh, was comprehensive and fair and mostly focused on consent. Uh, so he decided not to scrap that. So, I mean, there's, there's room to call people's bluff. There's room to um, make sure that your voice is heard. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think it serves the community, especially well, if we see this as a completely dire situation. And I think our queer and trans community often and always rises to the occasion, comes together and, and fights back. So I guess that's the debrief that I'll give. Um, but yeah, that's sort of, again, um, Alberta students planning a walkout in protest of UCB policies on GSAs. That's happening May 3rd, 9.30. And uh, yeah. Hey there, we're back. With hey, we're Gator. back. The musical Fun Home, which mm-hmm. is based on... Alison Bechtel's graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, won a Tony Award, I'm going to guess, three years ago, I could be, maybe two years ago. It won five. Well, it won a bunch, but I mean, best musical. In 2015. 2015. Yep. So that's four years ago. I was mm-hmm. off. And um, as I learned yesterday, it's yeah. the uh, only musical to be on Broadway with a lead lesbian character. Yes. Okay. Well, the only one to win in a... Well, yes. It's probably the first musical with a female or a lesbian protagonist. Mm -hmm. And certainly the first one with lesbian themes to ever win best musical. Right. There's been a lot of gay musicals. (laughs) I have no doubt. We won't get into that. Yes. Um, Yeah, it is not... I mean, I think in... We had... there was So last night, Mm -hmm. those of you who missed it... um, it was on. It's on the Verse Corner Theater. We'll give more details about how it's showing. Um, there was a conversation on stage afterwards mm-hmm. with our own Alexa <laughs> yeah. and some members yeah. of the cast yeah. and a representative from Fruit Loop mm-hmm. uh, talking about the show. And that was actually a really good conversation. So if you missed it, that's too bad. <laughs> But that's all to say that their Plain Jane uh, is putting up a production of Fun Home. And you have three more, four more technically chances to see it. There's a show tonight at 7.30 and then shows a show tomorrow at 7.30, uh, Saturday at 2 and uh, Saturday at 7.30. So you have four more chances to go see it. You can get tickets through Varscona Theatre. Um, and uh, and make sure and, and yeah that's that's where you can get tickets is through their website or I imagine at the door again that's happening at seven thirty tonight seven thirty tomorrow night two on Saturday and then seven thirty again on Saturday um, and it was I mean I I hadn't seen I've read the books I hadn't had not seen the musical I'd sort of heard a bit about the music mm. just when it was played in various like ads and stuff like that um, but I thought it was a great production like yeah. uh, there was um, it was it was it was really well done and the conversation we had after with the um, cast and some of the production team was talking about Bechdel's um, influence in the community, what things like Dice to Watch Out For and Fun Home mean mm-hmm. to people. Um, and I think like being in the crowd when they're, it's always, it's always a very sort of nice feeling to um, hear people laughing, like 
at the gay jokes because they get the gay jokes, right? Yeah. So like like the inside gay jokes that you're just like, oh, that's such a good feeling. And so part of it is that, and part of it as well is that song that we played is about a moment in which Allison's character um, sees like a butch woman for the first time and sort of has this reaction to it that she knows that she's connected to this person, but she's not quite sure why or what it means, but she just feels this connection um, with this woman in a diner who's who's butch and masculine. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked afterwards, people said, I mean, the queer people who were there said that they can, they can relate to that. It's a, it is a very relatable show mm-hmm. um, for, for queer people, at least for me. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's arguably, and I know we don't have a lot of time to have this argument, mm-hmm. it's just as much about her gay father than it yeah. is about her. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's that angle, too. Yeah, that it's the relationship between them and how they're both dealing with their sexuality in relation to each other, um, both struggling and, and all that sort of stuff. I also wanted to, we've, we've got an interview coming up with um, Darren Hagen uh, that we're going to play for you, and that's because he's got a new production called The Empress and the Prime Minister um, that is being put on by the Roxy on Gateway. Um, it is the world premiere of this, and it's uh, coming out on the 50th anniversary of the partial decriminalization of homosexuality in Canada. And uh, Hagen premieres this new play about the life of a drag queen slash activist named Ted North, also known as the Empress of Canada. And Mr. North's activism uh, draws a young Minister of Justice, Pierre Trudeau, to his side, and the two form a remarkable uh, connection that uh, they say changed Canada. So um, we did an interview uh, with Darren Hagen and Joey L'Esperance, um, and that's what we're going to listen to right now. Why don't we get started? Why don't you tell me a bit about, about the show? Um, I would like a plot or how it all got started. Yeah. <laughs> how about how it all got started and then we can get into the all right. plot. Yeah. Uh, in 2013, I was inducted into the Q Hall of Fame in, in uh, Toronto. Uh, Q Hall of Fame Canada, it's called. And um, uh, I got there and re-met someone that I had met decades earlier in my past as a drag queen. And that was Mr. Ted North, who was the Empress of Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, he gave a keynote address that night about his years as an activist that made me I literally leaned over to my husband and went oh my god I have to turn this into a play mm-hmm. and I had known him for known of him for years I had met him once when I was a young drag queen um, but hadn't really realized what a crucial place he had in, in sort of queer history in Canada so um, I actually talked to him that night and said I'd love to interview you and he said yes and then he passed away that was actually oh, wow. the last time he was uh, addressing the community. And, uh, and then I found out that his friend Paul, who had actually been at the awards that night, had done a whole bunch of video interviews in preparation for something, just mm-hmm. to get his life story, a little bit of it down. And so he gave me all those videos, and I spent a couple of months transcribing them, and that's formed the spine of the play, The, the Empress and the Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. So then what was his activism in that moment? So we're talking 19... 19- the late 1960s. Well, actually, and... his activism started much earlier. Than okay. That. He he went to um they wouldn't he wanted to be a male nurse. They wouldn't do that. They let him do that in Canada. So he actually had to go to California to study. So he became immersed in the 1950s counterculture in um, in LA and San Francisco in the queer communities that were burgeoning them. And in addition to the queer communities getting a foothold, the drag communities were starting to sort of uh, coalesce. Okay. And 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 
cooperate with each other. And so he not only was a part of that, but he was a part of the three drag the three main drag queens that sort of started the imperial court system, which is mm-hmm. the drag emperor and empress foundation system that's all over North America now. Yeah. Which is I think it's like mm, it's it's over fifty years old now. Uh, I can't remember what year it started. Mama Jose in San Francisco started it mm-hmm. in the fifties, I think. Anyway, so he actually um, protested in Vancouver. His first real protest in Canada was to go on the steps of the Vancouver courthouse in August of 1958 in full drag and got arrested and that was the first time he got his name in the papers right. and so he and, was oh sorry what was that for then what was he protesting he about? just stood in drag on the Vancouver courthouse steps with a sign saying I'm a human being hmm. yeah Wow. And that, of course, in the 1950s, even in Vancouver, which is a progressive city, even then it would have been a, a fairly uh, audacious and shocking and illegal thing because female impersonation was against the law. Right. Yeah, unless you had three items of male clothing on. So I, I just I just thought those... And he also made allusions to electroshock therapy and chemical castration, all these things that he knew people that had gone through these things. And that experience, when he finally did start to write letters to politicians and try to lobby them to sort of get them to consider some sort of equality for queer people um, those letters caught the attention of Pierre Trudeau who was Mm. justice minister at the time and they actually met several times and uh, um, his famous most famous quote or his favorite story to tell was that the night the bill passed he got a call from Pierre Trudeau who said congratulations your majesty oh wow and so that's that's kind of what I used as sort of the jumping off point to dive into his story as much as I could Mm mm-hmm and so do you, I mean, we're, we're, uh, this year, obviously I think part of it too, is that we're at the 50th anniversary That's, of the passing of the 1969 omnibus. Yeah. That, that explains the timing of the play. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or of the production anyway. Yes. But there has been some controversy within the queer community about the 1969 bill. So if we just go through that, was that, um, was he sort of fighting for general equality or was he specifically fighting for an end to the criminalization of uh, homosexual sex. Do you know I, those sort of details? Or? I don't, he doesn't actually specifically address that in the interviews that I had access to, and I never got right. to ask him some of the questions. I wish, I wish yeah. I could ask him that question. Yeah. Um, but as I was doing the research for the play, uh, that started to come up in my research, and I realized that, mm-hmm. and I actually had to wrap my head around and think, wait a minute, homosexuality wasn't illegal, it was all about gross indecency, yes. which was yeah. open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it's like the sodomy laws in the States, right, where they can be applied inequally to people, and mm-hmm. that's actually the problem. And so I started, I had to do a little bit of like sort of political legal wrangling to figure out, well, what does this actually mean in the real world? Mm -hmm. And realize that homosexuality wasn't decriminalized because it was never criminal. Mm. So in, in a weird way, and then um, just before we started actually rehearsing, uh, there was this giant, um, I had the conference in, in mm-hmm. Ottawa, Ottawa, Toronto, I think it was in Ottawa. Ottawa. Yeah, full disclosure, the I was there. So. Were you? Yeah. I'd love to hear about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I sent Joey the links and went, oh my God, look at this. Yeah. And it was interesting because I had already started to go there, but that kind of gave me the courage to go, yeah, we have to point out that this, like, this isn't a celebration of, oh, the government saved us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was an important step in this very, very long journey that we're still in the middle of. Right. And it, it, it must have been exciting, but also really a hollow victory in a way, mm-hmm. because as we all know, nothing really changed for decades, mm-hmm. you know? No, but also, even though um, we're talking about gross indecency, you know, because that was the bill, the bill was talking about that, but also homosexuality was mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first time that a politician would step forward and actually speak those words. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people thought that uh, 
this bill was actually decriminalizing homosexuality when in fact it was just uh, clarifying what gross indecency meant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was fascinating to actually realize that. And I sort of knew it in my heart the whole time because, you know, I lived through the 70s. Right. I was five years old when the bill passed. Mm-hmm. So I lived through the 70s. I know how long it took for, you know, homosexuality to stop being listed as a mental disorder. I live in Alberta under a conservative government. I know how long it took before I was considered a f- fully participatory human being in this province. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it didn't actually fix the equality issues, um, but it's always held out as this moment where where Canada took a step in the right direction. Right. And I think um, in the play, we actually do go there where we have a conversation where Pierre and Ted have a conversation about, well, does this really change anything? And of course, Pierre, is, this is a step that had to happen, and Ted's, I know, but now I realize that it's not enough. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, that was a fascinating thing to sort of come across right at the perfect time in, in the, the final drafts of this play so that we could actually address that a little bit. And it actually changed the ending of the play. Oh, wow. That'll be yeah, exciting yeah. to see then how you address that. Yeah, well, and because, because ultimately that moment of realizing that, oh, this is actually a battle that's just starting. Even though I've been doing it for 20 years, mm-hmm. it's just starting. And that there's such a long road ahead of us, right? And so, yeah, um, it's 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 um, the play ends up sort of mm, it speaks from that generation to this generation in a really interesting thing, in a really interesting way, I think, mm-hmm. which is um, exciting to be able to try and do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then, in terms of the relationship between between the two characters, mm-hmm. how did you how did you come to like how did you navigate that? Is it sort of like a more intimate relationship? Do, do you know did they have like you said they had phone calls and stuff right. like that? But like what was the nature of their relationship that you understand? Well, we only have Ted's version of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the play, it, well, even in the interviews, in yeah. the, uh, we don't we, we we can't interview Pierre Trudeau about right. what he thought about it. Obviously, yeah. what he thought about Ted, but they did work together, and he he used to be quite gay and free around Pierre. He used to he used to pretend to be Queen Victoria, go, "Oh, Mr. Prime Minister," <laughs> and stuff like that, and make Pierre laugh. So, and he had intense admiration. He said he was a magnificent man. He said that over and over again in the mm-hmm. interview. So, um, I knew that they had spent. Time Time together, and obviously there had to be some strategy. So the first scene is actually Pierre coming to Vancouver, and Ted's got his office where he's got his activism and his drag and all that stuff and all the the, the signs that he needs for protesting. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a sparring match because I think Pierre's trying to figure out whether or not he wants to get involved with this yeah. this radical. Mm-hmm. But also I think that in the way the play is presented, it's uh, the first meeting. Yeah. It's, it's the first time that uh, Pierre is uh, sort of being. Presented to this world of uh, activism and and uh, queerness, though in the play also we understand that he had um, gay friends mm-hmm. or homosexual friends mm-hmm. he would uh, yeah. use for term, and uh, so the play is really about their meeting together and how they're going to navigate these two worlds yeah. uh, to come to work together uh, towards passing this uh, omnibus. Mm-hmm. I think they, they each teach each other a little bit. Of about political reality and yeah. about queer reality. Yeah. Right. Because Ted always said his way of changing people's minds was, especially as a nurse and especially with the mental homes that he worked in, that it was about one-on-one, convincing one person at a time, mm-hmm. explaining to them how this affected your life. And Pierre, of course, is all about, well, here's the political machinations that we need to go through 
in this phase of this journey. Right, like the reality of what's possible. In the reality of what's yeah. possible, exactly. Yeah, and the other thing uh, from, again, what you got from Ted, um, I think one of the reasons why Pierre decided to like work with this guy was that it was, this was a potential win-win situation. Mm. It was maybe going to help him politically, but also this guy, Ted, seemed organized and connected. Mm. Uh, yeah. So he had some goodies at the end of uh, the deal for Pierre. Yeah. Um, Ted had a lot of uh, tips from the mm-hmm. queens in the States yeah. in terms of how their activism had launched because they were, you know, bigger gay metros, um, more, more organized in San Francisco especially. Mm-hmm. And, and so able to teach him how, how dra- and it's interesting because what they taught him was how drag is activism. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really fascinating to me. It wasn't just about being a political queer. Mm-hmm. It was about actually the idea of putting on a dress and going out in public and letting that be the statement right. and letting that change people's minds fascinated me as a, as a drag queen. I was just fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of how putting on a dress changes you forever and mm-hmm. especially when you let people see you like that and you let them know who you are underneath that right yeah. which is interesting because um, like he didn't have a drag name his drag name was Mr. Ted North Oh yeah. that's the name he was always introduced by mm-hmm. and it was partially because it was illegal to actually present yourself as a woman with the intent to deceive so one way of proving that you weren't trying to pretend to be a woman to fool someone was to take your wig off one was to wear a patch that said I'm a boy which is something that yeah. Mama Jose did in the black cat in, in, uh, in San Francisco and Ted decided that his way would be to always introduce himself as a man when he was being, you know, harassed by the cops. No, and we do see a lot of drag queens with full beards and that kind of stuff too. Now we're going into this whole new drag is morphing in a way that it's kind of mind-blowing how diverse it is now, yeah. Well, no, that's a question I have too. So we have this moment where you're saying like drag was used to uh, sort of change minds and, and, and be political in a certain way and we are seeing currently, I think, sort of a very interesting explosion of what drag is doing in our community but across you know North America and so how do you see this sort of fitting into that discussion Uh, I think it's it's totally timely I I, I think I think I think it's interesting being an old queer and an old queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to sort of reveal what came before. I think one of the things I learned when I moved into town it was right after the Pisces raid. Right. So I moved into an Edmonton in 1982 that was just becoming active and an activist and meeting Michael Fair when I was 17 and things like that that actually sort of made me real. And, and actually, even once I became a drag queen, I was Miss Flashback 9. I was Imperial Crown Princess 9. I knew there was eight before me. Right. And I knew who all those people were. And so I always felt like I was part of a continuum and part of a historical piece, a, a, a momentum, of a, a mm-hmm. historical momentum. And, and, and so um, that when I started to, when I wrote The Edmonton Queen, I became fascinated with, with where do I fit into this history? And over the decades, it's been how far back can I go? Like to 1942 for Witch Hunt at the Strand or to 1969 for this play. I'm working on the, the Pisces Bathhouse play now. Oh, yeah. So um, uh, I, I think it's fascinating as a queen to be able to sort of show the queens today and everyone who's playing with different versions of that um, not one of us invented it. Mm -hmm. It's been around for centuries. And the way, the forms that it took decades ago deserve the same kind of respect that we're demanding for them today, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's an interesting thing to be able to sort of dip into in the play. I love that. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I'm not an expert in mm-hmm. you know drag or anything like that. But um, <clears throat> what I appreciate, and you know, the question you had, you had about you know dragon beards and you know so on, is that now what I see is the expression of everything. Mm-hmm. It's the exp- uh, It's between male, female, past male, past female, yeah. everything in the middle, mm-hmm. and everything is worth being expressed. And also, 
um, many artists, drag artists, do it so well. Mm -hmm. And I find that refreshing, actually, uh, that we're not, you know, uh, binded to, to something so rigid as to, you know, a drag should have, I don't know, brass and, yeah. you know, now they could have beard uh, working boots or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and everybody's got their own little shade. Um, so. Yeah. RuPaul always said, yeah, the one quote out of RuPaul's, we are all born naked, everything after that is drag. Um, this is the first time, you know, in this show I'm going to do some drag. I'm doing drag. He does two important drag. I do two of them, and I've never done it before, and uh, so of course then it was time to put the shoes on, you know, like <laughs> Darren just said, you know, it's not easy. Well, it's not easy. I can tell you my shoes are like, I don't know, maybe an inch. They got very low. Like, yeah, yeah, they're they're almost almost possible, like yeah. granny pumps. An inch, and they're like really big heels. <laughs> because I felt like I was standing on toothpicks, you know, and I thought, I'm going to break a leg or something. And it's so funny. Every so, time he goes, oh, oh, this hurts. I go, no one ever said this was going to be easy. Yes. You know? But the other just thing... Be beautiful. <laughs> the other thing is that it's fun. Mm -hmm. There's something extremely liberating uh -huh. uh, and fun. Um, so that's a gift for me in this production mm -hmm. uh, because I was hired to, pie, uh, to play Pierre Trudeau. Uh, that was the first. Yeah, he didn't know. know. The play evolved. It was going yes. to be two monologues. Okay. Pierre doing a monologue and Ted doing a monologue and talking about each other and other things in their life. I rapidly realized I can't write a half-hour monologue about Pierre Trudeau that mm. doesn't cover territory that's already been covered a million times. Right. The one piece of his story that I had access to that nobody else had written about was, in fact, the relationship with Ted. And honestly, having two actors on stage not talking to each other got really boring after a while. Yeah. So um, I started to do little scenes between the two of them, and that's when it all started to sort of fall in place. But every time I would think, oh, I'm tired of listening to my own voice. Oh, look, he's talking about this amazing queen in San Francisco. Oh, what the hell? Let's just write a scene for them. And then that's sort of how it all started. Yeah. So now he plays. So then they approach me and say, by the way, you're also playing the Archbishop of L.A. and uh, the, uh, the, the, the Queen of the Americas in San Francisco and anti-mame in Portland, Oregon. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, no, and I think that's a huge thing, too, in this moment that the drag is, is fun and it's also... It can be disarming. Yeah. That I think that's is that a reason you think that it is resonating? Like, with a, we see all these drag brunches, and like it just seems to be hitting a new community. That it's a that, it's a really good. Well, I'm trying to think of a term like you know the opposite of the canary in the coal mine, mm -hmm. right? Which is that uh, it, 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 it's kind of an, an an indicator. It's indicative of. A progression of society that's kind of evolving to in, in you know to take in more versions of gender and more versions mm -hmm. of diversity despite what's happening you know in Alberta or in, in any particular place in any particular time yeah. the fact that drag is no longer like this freak show that it used to be and, and uh, part of me misses the freak show aspect yeah, of it because yeah. it was I'll tell you it was fun to be yeah. a radical in the 80s and to yeah. walk down Jasper Avenue and drag and watch people freak out mm -hmm. and actually get angry because you were dressed in a gender that wasn't the gender that you were born in like it was, it was fascinating to do, mm -hmm. and I, I always was confused, puzzled, and excited by how the impact of it was. I remember um, when I did help TV, I used to interview people on the street, and one day we were doing a show. I think we were doing a show on drag or cross dressing or something, and so I took pictures of me in drag, and I asked people, "So, what do you think of this?" I didn't tell them it was me, and some of the responses I got were like horrifying, right? right? Well, that's yeah. disgusting. You know, that's blasphemous. That's, they're all going to hell anyway. And it was just like, hmm, okay, <laughs> what if I told you that was me? And they, they were never impressed by that. Yeah. You know, I mean, but 
I have to say Edmonton's always been a place where I've always been surprised at how far I can get with drag. It's uh, over, it's 32 years since I did the very first Edmonton Fringe that Guys in Disguise ever did. Mm. And we were kind of the first drag troupe in Alberta to kind of go really mainstream public like that. Mm. And um, um, we sold out of a show in 1987. You know, yeah. so Edmonton was ready, even even on a small scale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I'm wondering too. I think like, and we're you know dancing around it, but like that we are in a new political moment. We are it's the morning after. It's the, the morning after. Yeah. I know. I know. I, we got. Yeah. It's interesting. I was telling Joey um, two years ago. I was doing Tornado Man at Theater Network, and I came off stage from the first, the very first preview, and Donald Trump was president. Well, yeah. And I kept saying to everybody, you "Don't have a repeat." Yeah. <laughs> Not that yeah. Jason Kenney is Donald Trump, well. but it was it was um, I, I, yeah, I had a feeling, and uh, I knew that uh, someone told me as soon as I got out of the dressing room that it, it was kind of over. And I was like, mm, okay, here we go, back to being queer in a province that might not have the same version of queer rights that I have in my imagination, mm-hmm. to to put it charitably. Yeah, well, no, and I think a, a thing that, and I think that your your all of your work speaks to is that Edmonton and Alberta has this really long, deep history of queer activism, yeah. right? So yeah. we, it's, I mean, I think that is a comforting thing to yeah. um, know that we know how to do this. We did it for 44 years and we can like... We'll get through this. We can all come back together and, yeah. and do it again, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Um, and, and maybe our activism is because of the climate yeah. that we're in, right? I mean, it's very interesting being an, uh, an Albertan queer and to go to Toronto or Vancouver, no offense to you in Vancouver, but you go to Vancouver and people go, where are you from? You go to Edmonton and they go, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Like Alberta is this backwater, yeah. And, and I know that that's not true, right? I know there are places in all of Canada where it, it is a homophobic backwater, but that's not an Albertan thing. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. It's just a thing. It's a North American thing. Mm-hmm. As soon as you step away from the metro areas, you do go back in time a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, sort of in terms of social issues. So, yeah, yeah I've always thought that the the, like, the activism that happened in Edmonton happened because of the Pisces bathhouse raid. That was one of the big moments that kind of galvanized the community, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the AIDS epidemic was another one that galvanized a whole community across the, the, the continent. So it's... It's a cross we have to bear. Yeah. You know? No, and I mean, that is interesting, too, because as as this play focuses on 1969, and then you see throughout the 70s and 80s that because now sex in private was protected officially, yeah. um, that sex in public became up mm-hmm. for grabs and yeah. they targeted yeah. it, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you see that through the 70s and 80s. So do you address that in the... Yes, I do. All right. Yeah. Well, and this is like, what was really exciting was I remember phoning up Joey. He had read a very early version of it and then we had a little workshop and I was starting to dip into like divvying up into scenes and, and dialogue and I phoned him up and I went are you okay if I get really political with this play? And he went, yeah, absolutely. And he said, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, I think I need to speak to... I need to speak... I'm not on behalf of my generation because this show actually is a generation before me. I'm a bridge. I feel like I'm a bridge between Ted's generation and maybe the current generation and that ultimately we all have something to learn by respecting the experience and the context of the activism that each generation is doing. Mm -hmm. And it's a call to revolution. Right, yeah. and that's what that's what it was then. That's what it is now. Mm. It's just a different call in a different context, and so that we have to respect each other's versions of what those revolutions mean and how they manifest. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I do. I do try to. I hope. I, I hope I address it. It feels like we've addressed it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And the, anyway, the play is political. Even yeah. before you said, you know, can I make it more political? Because it's it about politics. So now it's just named for what it is. And also, I think it's important that we're not disillusioned by what happened in 1969. Yeah. And the thing with you know we were mentioning earlier that for the first time it was mentioned, but really what it did, it's that line that you have in the show. You say the veil of secrecy veil was of, lifted. Yeah, and our veil of complacency. So, was yeah, torn. that's it. So now everything yeah. is exposed. Yeah, and that's why also they went after uh, public sex. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. All the parks and that, all the yeah. the bathhouse or whatever, because they needed to figure out a way to go after what they what was now named. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's yeah. a line in that last kind of, kind of couple of pages was equality wasn't suddenly real. I still no. had to imagine it. Right. right, and I think the fact that Ted could imagine it is one of the reasons why. And people like Ted, not just Ted. There's so many. There's so many unsung activists right now. I'm actually. I hope they, they don't mind me mentioning their names. Uh, two of the original uh, founders of Gay Alliance Towards Equality approached me when I was writer in residence at the library and said, "We want to write something about Gate." But okay. we don't know how to do that. And I said, talk to me, talk to me. And so I've been interviewing these two beautiful old men that I'm, and I remember um, I met as Bill Booth and Bob Radke. I hope they don't mind me just saying their names, but they were the ones that kind of spearheaded this. And so uh, the second time I met them, uh, it was the first time meeting Bob, and they handed me a folder full of stuff. And I opened it up, and there was an article from the Edmonton Journal from 1975. I was in grade five in 1975. Mm. And I'm looking at this beautiful man in the picture that's talking about lobbying the government and fighting for equal rights. He's got long hair, and, and he, like I just looked at him and kind of fell in love with him. And then I kind of read underneath it and realized that it was the 70-year-old man sitting in front of me. And I think that's a, a moment we have to remember. Yeah. Is yeah. That, that, that no one's disposable just because because they're not 25 anymore. Mm -hmm. And 25-year-olds um, are actually changing the world, but the 70-year-old sitting in front of me changed the world too. Mm -hmm. And to be able to connect those ideas and not dismiss people just because of the generation that they're a part of, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of um, the politics are different. Yeah, but they're the same too, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, a, that was a powerful moment for me. And listening, listening to them, they were 18 or 17 when the bill passed. And I was like, what was it like when you heard that on the radio? And they went, and one of them said, that was the first time I knew what I was doing with my buddies was anything less than legal. <laughs> they had no idea, right. right? Because nobody talked about it back then. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would venture to say, I can't speak from experience, but I would venture to say, in the 60s, when you were arrested, that might, you knew you had to keep it a secret, but you probably didn't really understand why until you were arrested. Mm -hmm. Right, or exactly what the repercussions it, might be, or what exactly the yeah. law was that you were breaking right. by being with a friend and and having some sort of intimacy with them, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. um, just valuable lessons in terms of uh, reaching across the generations, and I think that's really um, something that this play attempts to do. Yeah, it didn't ever it didn't start out that way, but <laughs> ultimately the issues surrounding the context of what I was going through as I was writing the play definitely influenced the the end result. Um, no, it seems like absolutely fitting for this moment, and I hope people uh, take it in and see that and sort of connect with the history that you're that you're presenting. I hope so too. Yeah. Last night we we had our very first audience last night, mm -hmm. and uh, they were they seemed really enthusiastic, and it was I think it was because of the politics of it, right. and because of the moment that we're in right mm -hmm. now. So yeah. yeah, and if I may, just um, though you know it's about a serious you know subject matter, it's also really light and really fun. There's yeah. 
bits and people were laughing hysterically yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a mix of all kinds of yeah. stuff. It's know? hardcore intentional yeah. intellectual yeah. politics and some real emotional heart. And then there's moments of comedy too. Like we actually, uh, um, uh, 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 Joey plays two of the drag queens that Ted meets early in his life. The Empress oh. of San Francisco and the Empress of Portland. The Rose Empire. The Rose Empress. And, and these two drag queens had a radical effect on him. Well, and here's what's interesting. Okay, uh, it was an international pink t-shirt day or something the other day. Sorry if yeah. I'm not up on what it's actually called. Yeah, I um, yeah. Jeremy Dias, Jeremy Dias mm. from Ottawa was on, on TV and I actually met him. He was a young man coming to the Edmonton Queen when I did it in 2001 was oh, when wow. I first met him and he lived yeah. in Edmonton. He showed up three times to the show, once in a bow and a little crown. It was fantastic. I loved him. He was like my favorite fan ever. Anyway, I met him years later and it turns out he's this big political mover and shaker now in, uh, in, 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 in out east. And so he was on CBC and they were talking about Pink Shirt Day, and uh, uh, and then they went to person on the street interviews that they had done at Toronto Pride, mm. and they interviewed people of every age, right, from millennials to seniors. There's two questions: What year was homosexuality partially decriminalized, and who was the last man ever jailed for homosexuality? Mm-hmm. And not one person could answer those questions. Of course. Right. That's why this play needs to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because those two things are, like, that's literally the two things that this play is about, in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and so to be able to sort of go, we, we need to, I, as a queer Albertan, I never felt like I was part of Alberta history. Uh, even though I'm of Norwegian and Irish heritage, and I'm part of my family, I've always felt different than that history. Where is my lineage? Mm-hmm. And I remember doing a play years ago called Walking the Dead, when one of the characters says, uh, you know, you should be aware of the cultural artifacts of your four sisters. And that's my lineage, the queer history, the queer family, mm-hmm. the queer nation. That is my, 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 my bread and butter and my blood and my, and my soul. And I need to, we all need to figure out where we fit into that history. Mm-hmm. And it's not by setting ourselves apart from the generation before us. It's by putting ourselves in that continuum and embracing that empathy that we get by actually understanding what generations before and after are going through. And it's hard. I get that because the context is different. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, millennials are experiencing a very different world than I experienced in the 70s and that Ted experienced in the 50s. But they're all important. Mm-hmm. And they're all, it's all, it's crucial that we, that we reach across those generations, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, the ways, the ways that we tell those stories, right? So I think if there was a similar question on the street of like, when was same-sex marriage legalized? You right. might have more answers to that. Possibly, and that's because yeah. we tell a very specific story of our community, yeah. but not telling the history of this criminalization and then the relationship with the police mm-hmm. that is still ongoing that people are debating, yeah, right? Exactly. And that seems like that could be a common thread between these generations is that we are dealing with that, the state engaging with us in that specific way. And I think my generation has to remember that just because things aren't as bad as, or in our context, they're not as bad as the, we don't feel like it's as bad as it was when we were that age, Mm -hmm. um, that there's a whole other bunch of issues that are up now. Yeah. And and in terms of safety and security and feeling safe in your own skin and feeling safe in your own community. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we all have in common. The, 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 um, The details might be different, but the effects and the impact are the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very nice way to, to end it, unless you have any other... <laughs> I just want to say how yeah. fabulous it is. I've never worked with Joey before. This is our first time working mm-hmm. together. And we got to do the first show last night. It was a lot of fun. We had a really good time. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that he's here to speak French for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always pictured Pierre, you know, lapsing into French the way he did when I was a child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I would say to that is that uh, I'm an actor. 
I, that's all I do. I act. So I've never been involved in a production like this where. Yeah, you have said this is your first queer theater in a way. Yes, isn't it? yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind Because um, well, I only do queer theater. Yeah, I did a queer project many, many years ago, a political project. Uh, but this was my first, yes. And um, so on top of, you know, act I get to be political too yeah. mm -hmm. and this is a great marriage of two of my passions really um, and I've learned a great deal in this production and I'm talking about like the the first man well the last man who was yeah. um, jailed uh, George Clippard I didn't know about him either mm -hmm. and so that's one thing that is uh, that is missing is the um, we need to educate people as yeah. to where we're coming from. Uh, the rest of the, 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 the big community needs to know uh, about the history. And in, in French, we say passer le bâton. Uh, and it's to pass the baton, uh, the baton, the baton. Yeah. Um, and so you know, the the intergenerational relationship needs to happen in that sense. So yeah. this is where you're from. Here, that's your turn. Exactly what you said a minute ago. We did it forty something years ago. Yeah. We're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's so I mean, I, I, queer history is my thing, mm -hmm. I, and I love being able to find another another moment where I can place a drag queen at a pivotal moment in history. Right. I love that, right? And uh, and also just to be able to tell stories of, of Canada and Edmonton. I mean, Ted North has um, uh, Edmonton connections. He was actually born on Cooking Lake, mm -hmm. part of a set of twins, one of whom died. And they actually, it was a hard birth and his parents were on vacation in Cooking Lake and suddenly she started to give birth and he ended up being taken to the Misericordia Hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's because of that that he's alive and that he, uh, that he was alive and that he got to, you know, uh, help change the world a little bit. Um, but I, I, when I, even when I go back to, uh, say, Witch Hunt at the Strand and explore the Edmonton theater community and the queer men that were, you know, hounded out of their careers and into prison and did hard labor just for the simple act of being gay. The more I find out about queer history of Edmonton, the more the more I feel like I'm actually a part of, of, of something bigger than me, right. which is something that I had not really felt when I was growing up. Yeah. So that's so, so important. And I urge everyone, just learn whatever you can. It doesn't matter which part of the community you want to learn about. Learn as yeah. much as you can. And then send me all the info so I can put it on the next Queer History Bus Tour. <laughs> And just to close, mm -hmm. I live right, I live, oh, this is good, and I live right beside, it's one street over, the Ted North Alley. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's called Ted North Lane. Nice. Ted yeah. North Lane. Yeah. And I didn't know who he was. Yeah. So, yes, we need to learn about her history. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, that's my mission as a writer and as a, as a historian. Yeah, I'm going to just keep finding as many queer, his, queer, queer stories as I can. They're real people, and I feel like that I got to know some of them, right? Um, writing the Pisces play, to be actually to be able to interview Michael Fair for hours about, and then they took you to the station, and then what happened? And I actually, okay, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I interviewed one of the lawyers for the Foundins. Mm -hmm. She had never been interviewed by anybody ever it's almost 40 years since that arrest happened and no one had thought you should find out what she went through yeah that is just mind-blowing to me and she had so many good stories like it was just fascinating to hear her talk and she remembered it vividly and so to be able to sort of speak to people while they're still here and Bill and Bob from Gate too to be able to talk about like finding out new places on Jasper Avenue where gay people and hustlers used to hang out before it got closed down yeah. just the history of Gate and the Communist Party when they you know it started in someone's house in their living room and then suddenly it moved into an office and then the lesbians got involved and suddenly they had to start doing fundraisers because now they had rent to pay 
right. and the Communist Party right around the corner on what avenue helped them out a little bit and just all these really beautiful brilliant connections we are a part of Edmonton's history right. that's the thing that we need to remember so we're not just part of queer history 